Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. This is our fourth disease discussion podcast of 2022, and it's a dandy. Joining us are Don Garrett, the longtime superintendent at the Walker course at Clemson University, as well as BASF area sales manager Scott Waltz, who has a wonderful job visiting golf courses and helping superintendents in the Carolinas achieve their goals. How awesome does that sound? Don will describe the joys of working at a great golf course on a college campus and then gets into how he controls disease on the various turf grass varieties his team maintains, while Scott offers insight on disease control on warm and cool season grasses. Before we get going with Don and Scott, a message from the sponsor of the Disease Discussion podcast. Nextema fungicide is a cutting-edge DMI that can be safely and affordably sprayed at any temperature on any turf variety to help control the toughest diseases, including spring dead spot, dollar spot, summer patch, and anthracnose. Contact your BASF sales rep today or visit betterturf.basf.us for more information. Now on to our conversation with Don and Scott. Well, Don and Scott, it's great to have both of you on the podcast. Really excited to learn what each of you are doing. And the first question here for Don, a lot of our listeners have obviously heard of Clemson University, but many of them might not know much about the school's golf course. Tell our listeners about the Walker course and what makes it unique. Well, the Walker course is uh, is Clemson University's golf course. It's right here, sits right adjacent to campus, so it's very um, accessible uh, to campus and to the community. Um, it was actually built as an accessible golf course. It was built in the mid-'90s, opened in '95 when the uh, ADA and accessible golf movement uh, was, was happening, and uh, you wouldn't, you couldn't really tell it, but that, that anything's different. But they made things like getting off cart paths to the tee easy and that sort of thing. But we serve the university, the the surrounding community. We're we're a, you know a public golf course. We do offer memberships. We have about 385 members from the the community and from out and about people that maybe travel into Clemson for ball games and that sort of thing. We'll have. Uh, have non-resident memberships and but we have you know rates for everybody seniors uh students uh, get a discount of course but we're really kind of i always joke we kind of try to be everything to all people which is usually usually fail when you try and do that but we've been we've been pretty successful at it to, to be you know kind of everybody's golf course here at clemson Don, you started working there in the late 1990s. Uh, what led you to your current position? Tell our listeners about your path to the Walker course. Well, I, I was from this area. I was kind of an Air Force brat, but my dad was from right here outside of Clemson. And um, we moved back here when I was 14 and then went, went to Clemson, got my turf degree, uh, left Clemson, went to work at Keel Island for about four and a half years uh, there left there and went down to Dalton Island uh, down near Hilton Head in Beaufort, South Carolina. And uh, it was a great opportunity, 36 holes, and really enjoyed it there. But but my wife is from this area as well, and we kind of wanted to get a little closer to home. We were hoping it'd be somewhere between, you know, Charlotte and Atlanta, which are each about two hours either way from Clemson. They were making a change here uh with the leadership and they, they got rid of a management company and wanted to hire their own superintendent and, and a golf professional. And so 
somebody that was on the search committee that I knew and had, had worked for um, called me because I had had a lot of assistance with having 36 holes and wanted to know if there was a Clemson grad that I had had that worked that I might be interested in the in the job. And I said, yeah, I know somebody who might be interested in it. And said, who? I said, me. And uh, that's that's kind of how it, it, it led me here. Uh, it was uh, it was very tough to leave Dalton. It was a great job, but we wanted to be closer to home, and you couldn't be much closer uh, than right here. Uh, never would have ever dreamed that. You know, there was no golf course here when I was in school in the '80s, and um, it's just really really fortunate we're able to uh, raise our kids here uh, in Clemson, and, and uh, knew that would be great. Uh, I think a university atmosphere is a great place to raise kids. Uh, we were all into sports and. A lot, lot of things you can you can do. There's always something going on on a, on a college campus, so it's it's been great. Yeah, 23 years at the same course as the superintendent. You hear about that sometimes, but not that often in the golf industry. Uh, what's the key to holding a job that long in this industry, Don? In your mind? Well, I think I think good communication. We we had a lot to overcome when they when they built the golf course. They were a little underfunded, and they they really ran out of money. And said, "Okay, that's it. That's all we can do." And there were a lot of things left undone, and and that's that's some of the reason why the management company struggled. It, it would have been tough for anybody. So when when I came, they uh, invested some more money into the golf course. We were able to fix a lot of things, but we've just been on a, I feel like a steady track. Uh, Brett Jessup, the golf professional, came at the same time I did, and we've just worked together and tried to get a little bit better every day. And we've, uh, I think, really improve the golf course consistently little by little over those 23 years and i think just communicating to people yeah there there may be a problem over here but we 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 know it's there we can't fix it right now it's on our radar we're going to do it trust us and then you know getting to those things and doing them and and just that constant trying to improve and get better and i I think that's um I, i think that's what's helped us uh you know, be successful and be able to stick around here for a while. Scott, we'll bring you in now. Now that we know a little bit about Don and his background, how would you describe your role with BASF and describe your career journey to this point to our listeners? Yeah, uh, I've, uh, I'm the area sales manager for BASF uh, for basically the turf market in the Carolinas. So I live in Raleigh, but I cover North Carolina and South Carolina, uh, anything uh, involved with turf from golf courses, lawn care, sod farms, athletic fields. I came to work for BASF about six years ago and uh, came into the Raleigh area about three years ago when Willie Pennington retired. So I uh, picked up a great territory with just a wide variety of golf courses from cool season in the mountains to uh, the warm season uh, and even the uh, the Seashore Pass Island guys on the coast. So it's a really interesting territory. I've been in the industry for 24 years. Grew up in Indiana originally. So lucky to be down here in the Carolinas and just uh, loving this territory and the golf courses that are down here. Scott, how have you been able to learn all the different grass varieties, all the growing environments in, in, in three years? I mean, what, what type of learning experience is it every day on your job? Yeah, you know, originally it was a pretty steep learning curve. I I called on some golf courses in the transition area in Kentucky and West Virginia, but but down here it's a little different with uh, you know the majority of courses having the warm season turf, 
it's just getting used to, uh, you know, you're kind of on a completely different schedule down here. Uh, we're going into the fall and, you know, we're, we're treating preventatively for a lot of diseases that are going to overwinter and express themselves in the spring. Quite different from, uh, you know, the cool season guys who are treating throughout the season and then really not having to worry about anything as they go into the fall and into the winter time. So it's, it, it really is completely different and I, I did feel pretty overwhelmed when I first got down here but uh, the thing that's interesting about the uh, the transition in the warm season markets is they they definitely have a lot more challenges when it comes to uh, to weed control and also uh, the diseases that they get so it's it's definitely been very different but uh, it's it's definitely a territory where some good chemical solutions definitely benefit the superintendent. Scott, when did you first meet Don and visit the Walker course, and what are your impressions of his operation there? Yeah, so when I came on board about three years ago, Willie took me around, and uh, we got to visit uh, key customers before he uh, retired. And I've just always been important. You know, Willie always said to me, you know, the Walker course is is a very important customer to us, uh, especially with their uh, close distance to Clemson. You know, I know that uh, Don's worked closely with Bruce Martin and now Joe Roberts down there. Uh, so they get to see a lot of the cutting-edge uh, technology that comes through Clemson as far as the new products that are going to be out there. And I know, Don, you've always been on the, uh, you know, the lexicon and using some of the other products, you know, the intrinsic products we've had in the past. And then when we launched Maxima and Navicon, you know, Don was one of the first guys to jump on board with that new chemistry um, and, and having tremendous success with those products. So just really been impressed. Uh, the college courses are really amazing if you get out there to see them, uh, what good conditions that they're in and really the amount of play they get. Yeah, in my golf course maintenance days, I, I actually worked on a 36-hole college course and learned so much and loved every minute of it. Don, with you being near or being on Clemson University's campus, do you get turf grass management students working on your crew? And if so, how rewarding is it to work with them? I do. I'm very fortunate. I I make this comment frequently that um, I'm one of the few golf course superintendents that has 25,000 potential part-time employees right across the street. It it really is a big help with labor the way it is. But we do work turf grass management students, but we've got students. I've got some kids that are in AgMac, a couple engineering students, uh, a couple landscape, architecture, agronomy. A, a, a number of different majors, but, you know, primarily turf, and it's just fun working with students. You know, the turf students are always asking questions and trying to supplement their, their education with what they're seeing out here. You know, it's just a lot of fun. They they, they keep you young, but we, we are very fortunate with the amount of students that we have, and, you know, a lot of the turf students will go off in the summer and do internships at, at other places, and then they'll come back with, with more knowledge and uh you know, the longer we can keep them during their career, get them started early, they're really a benefit to us. Um, we, we, we couldn't do what we do without our student help, for sure. Don, how good of a training ground is the transition zone for a turf grass management student? <laughs> it's a good training zone. It might, it might be too good. It may, might make them change majors because it's, yeah, you know, tell people that's a transition zone. Cool season grasses will grow and warm season grasses will grow, but neither one of them thrive. 12 months out of the year, and that's that's what makes it a, a real challenge. And uh, kind of Scott alluded to some of the things with, with weed control when you've got a warm season grass next to a cool season grass, especially with, you know, the courses that still have bent grass greens. It really 
present some unique challenges. And, and I think the thing, too, for students, you know, when I was a student, we didn't have a golf course on campus. I couldn't work during off hours from classes or whatever. I'd, I'd go in and work at a, a golf course 20 minutes away on the weekends, maybe Friday afternoons and the weekends, you basically were confined to working and learning in the summer. And, and I think with these students that work here, they get to see a golf course operate 12 months out of the year. And I remember coming out as an assistant, seeing things in, you know, in fall, winter, and spring that I was not, had not seen before, um, overseeding for one. And I know there's not a lot of overseeding going on, but I wasn't around when they were when they were overseeding in, in October, and you know I get to Kiowa, and well, we're we're overseeing tees, greens, fairways, all of that. So it, it does. I think we do offer a, a unique opportunity for the, the students to, to learn. They're learning year round in the classroom, but they're also gaining experience year round. So that's that's a lot of fun for them and for me. What type of adjustment was it for you going from? a coastal environment in the Carolinas to the growing environment in Clemson, South Carolina, and how would you describe your growing environment in Clemson to somebody that just doesn't quite understand it or is listening to this podcast in a different part of the country? Well, down at the coast at, at Kiwan Dato, you know, you're probably pretty close to what, you know, Savannah and even to Jacksonville being right there on the coast. It, it was pretty much year-round. There were years where we just we didn't go dormant at all. We we, we might not even have a, a, a hard frost or a, a, even a freeze uh, at those places, and, and being right right up on the coast. Uh, so it was like 365 days a year trying to beat the golfers around the golf course and get everything mowed out. Um, you weren't having frost delays or any of that. It was you know, you're pretty much mowing grass. It slowed down in the winter months for sure uh, with the rough, but uh, you know, you'd have to go out and top it off. We're here in Clemson. We we have a full uh, four seasons: spring, summer, fall, and winter. And that's kind of nice, where you have a winter and everything goes dormant. And you know, we'll we'll see the, the good many twenties and maybe the upper teens. And you can kind of catch your breath a little bit. I, I I look forward to the winter months where we can get out and do some projects that we don't have time. Uh, to do maybe during the summertime when we're really, really busy just, just keeping the place mowed out and doing cultural practices. And, and so you can kind of catch your breath a little bit, I guess, but we, we stay busy with, you know, just all kinds of winter projects, rebuilding a bunker, doing tree work, underbrushing, uh, that sort of stuff. And, and, and I really like that because you just, you, you can kind of recharge a little bit, even though we're we're doing projects. There's not quite the sense of urgency, and and, and, it, and there's no real off season. We we play golf 365 days a year here as well, but it's slower. And we do later tee times. We don't start tee times till nine o'clock, so it's not quite um, quite the sense of urgency in the winter months that we have in the summer. Whereas boy, down at the coast, it was just it was year round. Every day, golfers going off at seven thirty, eight o'clock. Before we get back to this awesome conversation with Don and Scott, another message from the disease discussion sponsor. Navicon Intrinsic brand fungicide is a unique and highly effective dual-action DMI chemistry that controls tough turf diseases throughout the year. The added power of Intrinsic brand fungicides gets to the root of the problem 
maintaining plant health by strengthening from the ground up. Add Navicon Intrinsic Brand Fungicide to your rotation and help keep your greens pristine. Visit betterturf.basf.us to learn more. Now back to our conversation with Don and Scott. Scott, what about your job? What's the seasonality like in your job? I mean, is January different than September, or is it because of all these different growing environments, the area that you cover and serve, that there's somewhere to go see every time of the year? In the winter months, it's more uh, on the educational circuit, going to uh, trade shows and different educational talks in the wintertime, uh, pretty quiet. Um, you know, as we get into the summertime, um, it actually stays pretty quiet here because that's obviously when Bermuda's the happiest, and, and really guys are doing pretty well uh, other than just a few weed issues. It really gets busy in the fall. Uh, we've got so many diseases that need to be treated for preventatively, and then, of course, we have the EOP season going on. So uh, that definitely makes it very busy for September and October. So we're, we're in a busy period right now. How about this year in particular, Scott, as you travel the Carolinas, what are some topics of conversation and pain points that superintendents are bringing up to you? Well, I think the number one is, is obvious. Uh, labor is the biggest issue that superintendents are facing, just finding good help. Uh, you hear that everywhere you go. Of course, every business you walk in has a help wanted sign these days. So uh, very tough for uh, superintendents to find good help that will show up every day. I think the other thing that is a struggle for superintendents is doing more with less. You know, everything's gone up in price uh, from seed to fertilizer to equipment. Uh, you know, just everything that they're buying has, has gone up in cost uh, tremendously uh, through the COVID uh, pandemic. So the budgets haven't gone up, though, uh, to be commensurate with uh, the price increases. So I hear a lot of guys having to uh, – to make tough decisions on uh, what they're going to use because they have a they have a certain budget and they have to do more with less. I do love working for BSF because sometimes we can put these guys, uh, you know, give them a little peace of mind that if they use our solutions, they can get that checked off the list and move to something else on their to-do list. Don, how nice is it to have a knowledgeable resource like Scott come to the course? He sees everything in your region. How much do you rely on people like him and others in roles like the one that he has? Well, a, a lot, and we're, we're fortunate to, to have Scott and, and, and all the company reps. It's just, you know, Alex says there's so many issues, and, and I actually called him the other day. We were getting ready to treat for spring dead spot, and I was a little bit out of the window, but I had a really good opportunity to spray a week ago Monday because we were, we were closed that day for a maintenance day, but the, the soil temperatures hadn't quite got down, so I needed to kind of bounce off of him. Hey, what do you think? Are we okay? And so it was, it's, it's nice having somebody that you can call and, and knows products and, and knows what, uh, you know, what our issues are and can help, you know, provide, provide those recommendations and guidance in, in using the products. It's uh, very valuable. Don, what turf grass varieties and species are you working with on each playing surface? I know your greens have zoysia grass, but just tell our listeners about the different playing surfaces and what, what type of turf is on them. Well, as you mentioned, we've, we've got uh, diamond zoysia on the greens. We converted to that about seven years ago, and it's, it's been very successful for us. Um, most everywhere else we have um, 419 Hipway Bermuda on the tees and fairways and roughs. We do have a few tees that are they're very shady that we've put zoysia, various varieties of zoysia on. 
around some of our, most of our bunkers we have we have zoysia and in some in some shady rough areas uh, we've used zoysia as well and we've also converted a lot of acreage uh, to just more of a native look uh, tall fescue um, broom sedge kind of thing and then we've got a, a couple areas that we've uh, use a wildlife blend like you do for a wildlife plot that, that really is kind of interesting with all there's like 13 or 14 different plants in the seed blend and uh, we plant it about now and it'll it'll look good till about June or July and many different the various species come on and perform at different times of the year it's really neat so that's that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much we've got a couple of shady areas where, uh, that, that are north facing we've got uh, some turf type tall fescue on that we do keep keep mowed but a lot of the natural areas it's up to about 15 acres now I think that are just we just let them pretty much let them go and bush hog them down about once a year and keep the weeds out of them how did your management philosophies change when you went to zoysia grass greens and what are some of the disease concerns on those compared to what you used to have well honestly we went from a cool season grass in in, in bent to, to warm season so just kind of turns around when you're doing your cultural practices and what have you and that and that worked well for us you know a fall airification on the bent was was always tough with with football season and big football weekends you never wanted to have the greens airified during that time um so now we're airifying in the summer so that 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 works so much better for us the, the zoysia is done well i'm not going to say it's it's easier than ben I, I think when you're trying to manage greens you're you're taking turf to the very edge whatever grass it is um but there's a little more peace of mind than than there is with bent grass in the south we have not seen a lot of disease but we've we've been on a, a pretty good spray program I've, I've cut my fungicide use um, in half from the bent grass to the zoysia and, and I could probably cut it a little bit more but there's so many good products uh, for disease control and length of control that I've just kind of taken the approach I'm not going to let disease uh, get me on the greens because the zoysia is slower to recover uh, so if you do ha have some disease attack it um, it's just going to be slower to recover from it. So we've we've stayed on a pretty good uh, pretty good spray program. We average about one spray um, per month. Uh, some months it, it, it's two, and then another month, you know, December we might not spray any type of fungicide on it. But uh, we have not seen a lot of disease. We've kept brown patch under control. I've seen a little bit of dollar spot, and that's really been about about it. But I think a lot of that is, is due to we, we've followed a good sound uh, program to manage them. Scott, zoysia grass on greens is obviously still an anomaly in the Carolinas and other parts of the country, but there probably is more zoysia grass in other parts of the golf course. What have you learned in your time traveling the region, Scott, about zoysia grass and some of the d disease concerns on it? Yeah, you're definitely starting to see a lot more zoysia come in, uh, you know, especially for surrounds around bunkers. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it, it is unusual to have uh, greens that are zoysia, although that, that is starting to pick up. Yeah. Really, for the zoysia guys, the, the large patch is the, is the biggest issue, I believe, for them. And 
they'll start making uh, applications in the fall to uh, to prevent that disease so that they don't have to look at dead turf in the spring. So very hardy, uh, very hardy grass, uh, but uh, does still have some disease issues to deal with. Yeah. And Don, what, what about your Bermuda grass? What are some of the disease concerns on the Bermuda grass that you have, and how have you successfully handled those potential diseases over the years? Well, our, our biggest thing with the Bermuda is, is spring dead spot in the in the tees and fairways and, and rust, and uh, it is always frustrating. For for many years, there just wasn't a real good solution. Uh, there was one that was extremely expensive and cost prohibitive for for most everybody, and then a couple more things came along, but I never had. I never could justify spending the money for something that didn't work consistently. And uh, now there's there's several several products on the market that you know we tested them and, and did them you know a couple of fairways here with some checks just to see. You know we have started. I think we're on our fourth year now, third or fourth year of, of treating our fairways for spring dead spot tees and fairways, I should say, um, because there's products that work. And are, are cost effective. It's, it's still a significant cost, but I don't, I don't mind spending the money if, uh, if it's going to work. And, you know, there's nothing worse than your golf course coming out of dormancy in the spring and, you know, you got big patches throughout the fairway that don't come out of dormancy because they're dead from the spring dead spot. And, you know, we've been, we think this is our third year with Maxima. Uh, to me, it's the most cost effective uh, product on the market, uh, extremely effective. It's just we don't have any spring dead spot where we treat with it. Uh, it's just cleaned us up, and it's so so nice to in the spring to come out and and just see your fairways green up and fill in, and and not having to push with additional fertilizer to get these areas to recover and. Um, Doing extra cultural practices to get the get them to recover. Um, it's just been a real real blessing, and I think it's really improved the obviously it's improved the appearance of the golf course, but the acceptance. Golfers, you know, a lot of times just don't understand why are these patches out here. Can't you do something? And you know, for many years we really we really just couldn't. And um, a lot of research now. We 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 know the window, the soil temperatures, where to spray, and get the most effective control. I mean, it's, it's it's almost like a no-brainer. It's almost just automatic for us. Scott, how much of your time is spent helping superintendents and other turf grass managers deal with spring dead spot? And what are some commonalities you see in successful spring dead spot programs? Yeah, spring dead spot's an interesting uh, disease. You know, you you've got guys who either have it or don't have it, and the guys who have it generally know what uh, areas on their course are going to be uh, areas affected every year. So uh, the folks who have it, it's it's a big issue. Like Don said, it's it's a disease that doesn't express itself until the spring, and by the time you find out that you have a problem, it's it's dead turf, and you spend a long time looking at it. And uh, I have a lot of guys that are going on preventative measures for spring dead spot, and uh, the the Maxima Navicon, you know, two applications in the fall, have really been super successful in controlling this disease. I think uh, Don said it right. We we know a lot about the uh, biology of this disease. We know the right soil timing, the soil temperature, and uh, you know with two timely applications, uh, we can get out there and pretty much eliminate uh, spring dead spot. Uh, that's something these guys won't have a headache in the spring dealing with. 
And Don, what about take all root rot? How have you handled that over the years successfully? We have not had much issue with it uh, on, on the greens on the zoysia. Mm. Um, we are using we are using some Navicon in the fall with our with our spring dead spot, and it's given us some, some brown patch control as well. But we we have not seen much much issue with take all uh, on these greens. And Scott, how about you? What have you seen in successful take all root rot programs in your travels and conversations? Yeah, take all root rot has really uh, evolved. Uh, Dr. Kearns at NC State is really pointing out that there's four different varieties of uh, take all root rot. Two like the warmer temperatures in the 90 degrees, and then two of them like it in the cooler temperatures of 70 degrees. So, whereas guys used to say, you know, Bermuda really didn't need chemical applications in the summertime. We're finding out that that's not necessarily true when it comes to take-all root rot. Depending on what species you have, uh, making sure that you're out there making good preventative applications. You know, with products like Maxtema and Navicom, we do have some curative uh, activity on those those diseases. But uh, making sure that you get in front of it and then, again, making those fall applications because we really want to put the turf to bed as clean as possible uh, so that you come out the spring uh, disease-free and, you know, with the best playability on your greens and turf. Don, based on this conversation, it seems like you've dealt with almost every imaginable turf grass variety and, and species and almost every imaginable uh, climate in the, the Carolinas. How important has it been throughout the course of your career to, to stay current on different disease management innovations and practices? And where do you go to get more information about these things? You're, you're right. You have to stay current on it because it, it seems like we get one issue under control and then something else uh, comes to the forefront, it seems like. Um, and and the, the new products coming to market, there's so many of them. So it, it is something you have to stay up. Now, we're fortunate here in the Carolinas with, with Clemson and NC State serving the Carolinas. You know, Bruce Martin for, for a long time at Clemson, the, the plant pathologist, and now Joe Roberts, and then the folks at, at NC State. Scott mentioned Jim Kearns, who's, who's excellent. You know, we're fortunate we get to see those folks. I was at a meeting a couple of weeks ago that, that Dr. Kearns spoke um, and, and talked about some of these things and some of these strategies, and we'll have them all uh, in November at the, at the Carolina's uh, Golf Course Superintendents Conference and Show in Myrtle Beach. And, and you know, we just we got some really good folks here in the Carolinas, you know, working on these issues and, um you know, helping us out with, with recommendations and and uh, what we need to do. They've got great labs that we can send samples to when there's something that we're scratching our head on. But it's a, it's a constant, I think it's a constant thing that you, you've got to stay up on what's happening because the, the chemistries to control these things are changing and the strategies to, to control them are changing constantly as well, it seems like. Scott? Uh, besides some of the products we've talked about, what resources does BASF offer superintendents trying to learn more about these diseases and ultimately control them? Well, we have a great website that's uh, that's been revamped uh, over the years. So I would say, you know, go to the Better Turf uh, website for BASF. That's a great resource to start. We try to stay very active on Twitter, uh, both BASF and then I have my own personal Twitter account. We like to put out timely solutions there. Uh, so we do have a lot of resources. We also have programs like the Fairy Ring Promise. So, you know, if you follow our recommendation with some timely 
applications preventatively for fairy ring, you know, we're going to take care of you. And we have spray programs for uh, take all root rot and spring dead spot. And then we even have uh, things like mini ring, which is becoming a, a big problem uh, in the South. And sometimes not necessarily chemical uh, control is, is the only solution there. We, we've done a lot of work with nitrogen sources on that disease. So we've got a lot of uh, information available out there because, you know, really we ultimately just want to see the, the superintendent succeed and, and be disease-free. Don, speaking of uh, succeeding, what would be a successful rest of 2022 for you, and what are some of your uh, short- and long-term focuses to enhance the Walker course even more? As far as the rest of the year, just I, I, look, I look forward, you know, to the temperatures cooling down and the grass slowing down and having that first frost and getting to, to dormancy where, you know, we can start doing some other things. I ride around and look and say, oh, my gosh, we need to get on that and we need to jump on this and this area is getting overgrown. We need to, boy, I can't wait till we have time to do that. So so that's, uh, that's kind of what we're looking at here and getting ready for our, our winter projects time. And then um, looking forward, like I said, the, the, the Carolina's Golf Course Superintendent Show in November, always look forward to that and, and getting down there and recharge your batteries a little bit and see some folks and learn some new things. And um, we'll have students up until about the second week of uh, December before exams, and they'll go home, and then Clemson will be a, a quiet little community for, for a few weeks over Christmas break. And um, when we know it, it'll be 2023 and time for a new year. We're, we're actually – working on a new master plan with uh, John LaFoy, the golf, local golf course architect, and, uh, you know, updating our master plan. He did one for us. When I came 20, well, 23 years ago, he he did one uh, so we'd have a good roadmap on, on how to get the Walker course to where we wanted it to, and we've done a lot of that. So we're working with him and getting a new master plan and, um, you know, looking at uh, – Doing, doing some, some, some improvements, uh, constantly trying to improve. And we've got a couple of big construction projects going uh, around uh, adjacent and one of them on our property, uh, starting here real soon. So it's, it's going to be, going to be a busy rest of the year and a, a busy 2023 for sure. And how about you, Scott? What, what does the rest of your year look like and what does early 2023 look like for you? Well, we're uh, going into the busiest time of the year uh, for for uh, a chemical manufacturer. So it's the best time of the year, really. Um, you know, everybody wants to see you, and we we have some some good things to uh, to talk about. Uh, as we start to get into November and December, obviously it'll slow down. We all love going to the Carolina show, and uh, you know, getting to see everybody, finish up the year, learn a little bit, uh, a little camaraderie. And then as we get into 2023, uh, you know, we get back into the educational sessions and uh, just just start a new year. So it's really just uh, about, uh, you know, for us, just continuing to find new solutions, you know, for our products and, and bring value to our customers when we're out there and visiting them. And the first thing they ask is, what, what's new? What's, what's, what's going on that I don't know about? So just trying to find new things to, to help them do their jobs. Last thing here, Scott. You've been in the Carolinas now for three years. Where can our readers who visit the Carolinas go to find good barbecue when they're down there? 
Oh, man. <laughs> Completely loaded question. They're, they're loaded because, you know, down here they've got the Carolina barbecue, which is the vinegar-based, and then they have the, the Western barbecue, which is more of the uh, tomato-based. Now, I am guilty of saying I am more of a Western <laughs> North Carolina barbecue fan, so uh, I tend to like those a little bit better. So I don't know. I, I'm more like the pit and, uh, you know, city barbecue. And I know there are probably some people cringing right now because a lot of people do like the vinegar-based uh, barbecue down here in the South. Yeah. I, I'm I'm great. It's growing on me, but it's not my favorite yet. Yeah. Uh, Don, how about you? Any travel tips for uh, our northern listeners who head to the Carolinas this winter? Well, I, I kind of alluded to earlier the diversity of the, the the Carolinas at two states. You've got the mountains. You know, I'm we're we're kind of in the foothills, and you can be in the mountains in about an hour. Or, hour and a half tops be up to Asheville and you know the leaves will be turning and all the apple picking and you know, that's a great place to go my wife and I are going up there but then you've got the coast you know you got you know all the coastline in the in North and South Carolina and uh, and everything in between it's, re- it's really neat in, in, in this where we're at you can you can be at the coast and the, in about four hours you can be in the mountains in less than two so it's it's really neat. It's really diverse, and uh, it's a great place to live. Yeah, it truly is an amazing uh, part of the country with amazing golf courses and, most importantly, amazing people. Really appreciate both of you joining us. I had high expectations for this podcast, and both of you threw 80-yard touchdown passes. So thanks for taking the time, and look forward to seeing you both in Myrtle Beach later this fall. Look forward to it. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much, Guy and Don. Thank you so much.